Okay, we did it. We are at the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, this is the end of our summer and this time together and what we've been uh, discussing and sitting in for 11 weeks now as we've journeyed through this book and did Exodus last summer and Deuteronomy. And so it's, we've got a good feel for what is going on in the Old Testament uh, in the Torah and these, the first five books of the Bible and what we're uh, experiencing. And so we're here. And we're going to start a new series in a few weeks, uh, but before we even start thinking about that, as we wrap up this time and this summer of thinking through this book that can feel archaic and feel, because it is archaic, by the way, it should feel archaic. It's weird. We have to import ourselves. We're kind of, uh, I love the way the Bible Project talks about it. They, they say we have to be good travelers. You have to learn the cultural customs and the systems that they're operating in. And as we do that, I want to recap this morning. This is a bigger kind of like looking at like, what have we done? Like, why does this matter? So what? Like, we spent all this time in Deuteronomy to learn cool stories, to, to think through what, uh, you know, is something that's kind of historical and fun or whatever it might be. But why? Like, why did we do this? Why did we give a whole summer to, to this book? I think it can be answered really, this is the third week in a row now, we've referenced this uh, chapter and these verses. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 19, you get this idea that placed before the people of God in Deuteronomy, as they're on the precipice of crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, they are offered, and what is given to them is the choice between death and of life. It's laid out right there. And, and what Moses asks, what the Holy Spirit is asking through Moses and the author of Deuteronomy, is that you would choose life. That you would choose the good. That you would choose to step into the blessing and the abundance that God has for you. And the whole point we've been trying to make this whole summer is that this, this moment, this end of Deuteronomy, when Moses is finishing up his sermon... And the author of Deuteronomy is, is wrapping up this context and, and he's saying to the people that are reading this, the hearers of this. Because remember that the Moses' sermon are not the readers of this book. The people that are reading this are me and you, obviously. It's, it goes without saying, I guess. Or, but I did say it, so I guess it goes with saying. Uh, but there initially were those that were in exile. The way we have it compiled here, what we hold in our hands, would have first been compiled in this form, in this way, when the Israelites were in exile. And the whole point that we've been trying to say again and again is that this matters because this is the people of God and this is what generation after generation has to do. And there's this way in which the imagery and the metaphors being used over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, in Moses' sermon, it's repainting. And it's recreating the image of the garden, the trees that we have the choices to choose from, these moments, just like Adam and Eve, where we have the option to choose death or life. And that's my hope, is that after we spend this time, that we would be able to begin to wrestle with and grasp that we are offered the same kind of choice. That we're offered this opportunity before us in some ways daily, again and again, moment after moment. And many of you here in this space have wrestled with this choice at kind of a more, you know, metaphysical kind of 30, 40,000 foot lifestyle direction. You go, okay, like I've, I've made this choice. I want to choose Jesus. 
And you know, what we understand and know is that that means we have to choose this over and over again. And this is why. This is why we get to a moment like this. is so that we can understand the call of discipleship, of what it means to be the people of God. And to choose life, to choose blessing. That the hope and the glory and the goodness of the kingdom and of the gospel and what God, what Yahweh intended for humanity and creation to be is laid before us. And we have the opportunity to choose. Life or death. Now that makes it seem really simple and easy. But we know it's really complicated. Because just as it is in this sermon from Moses, as he looks at a group of people that were not responsible for the fact that they wandered in the desert for 40 years. He looks at a group of people that were not responsible for his actions and the actions of those around him that caused Moses to act out in such a way that Yahweh said, Yours is, your life is no longer to enter into this. You're a part of the old. There's going to be something totally new that will enter in. And he's looking at him saying, you, that's not you. And yet he says to them, it is you. You are those people. You would choose to bear the name of Yahweh, that would choose to be the people, that would choose to step into the blessings of life that were promised to the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Yahweh has intended to continue to use, that you are all the people. And that's what we want us to grasp and wrestle with. Us here today, in all the problems we see, all the things that we uh, take umbrage with or, or wrestle with, the ways in which we have been caused to uh, walk with limps, not just because of blessings, but because of woundings and hurts as well. That that does not negate the fact that we are all the people of God, and the problems with the people of God are the, our problems. And so when we stand here together today in the 21st century in Birmingham, Alabama, in August, in the year of our Lord, 2023, doesn't feel like the year of our Lord with God-forsaken heat, but... He's here, he's favorable, he's with us. We stand here as the people. And the problems and the shortcomings and the failures of the church are our problems and our shortcomings. And we don't get to just walk away from them and say, that's not really what I'm about. Because what we get out of a book like Deuteronomy is that it is each generation's job to stand before the Lord and say, what would you have for us to do? What would you lay before us to walk into, to claim as our own, that is in line with the promise of the kingdom and the hope of the gospel? Now, obviously, we do that differently here now today in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Post-Jesus and his life, what it means to do that looks slightly different than what it looked like for these people, but the overall message of it doesn't change. We are meant to have the same choice. And so this is what we've been doing, living with this, wrestling with this over the course of the summer. And I hope that as we wrap up, that you would think of that repeatedly, of what does it mean that your life is meant to be one of hope, joy, abundance, of infinite, not scarcity, not limitedness, not death, but your existence and your being is one that is supposed to be full and hopeful and joyful because that is the choice before you is life or death another way to talk about it and what we get in these last few little sections or, or these last few chapters this final section of Deuteronomy another way to thinking about it is what is before you is blessing and curse 
Blessings and curses are another major theme or movement throughout Genesis. It's probably the one other place you see this the most. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. But just to remind you, Deuteronomy is sort of bookending the first five uh, books of the Bible. You have Genesis and then Deuteronomy. And the end of Deuteronomy looks a whole lot like the beginning of Deuteronomy. It's a beautiful work of art. These people that put this together, they're doing something. They're telling a story and they're inviting you to come in and to be a part of it. And what they are saying at the end of Deuteronomy to the people of God, and remember, these are the people that are in exile as this is compiled in the way we read it. Saying to them, just like Adam and Eve, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just like those that wandered in the desert for 40 years, just like those that were the first to walk into the promised land, those in exile, and us today have before us the opportunity to choose to participate in the life of the kingdom and in creation the way that Yahweh intended for it to be lived. And that choice is ours, regardless of the failures and the shortcomings. And each and every generation has to wrestle with this and to do this. And what lays before them is the choice of blessing and of curse. And last week, Kyle talked about blessings trying to redefine a little bit, reshape that idea of blessings. We all know the, you know, Kyle made a joke about it as well, the hashtag bless that's, you know, a good meal or a sunset view on the beach, whatever it might be. Hear me out. Great meals, traveling all over the world, love it, do it, have fun, if you, if you can, you know, enjoy it. But we understand what we see in this is not, like, that's, that's not the blessing that, the gospel is trying to invite us into. The blessing that we're being offered is the presence of God to be near to us regardless of our situation, regardless of our status, regardless of our wealth or our job or all of our dreams coming true or not coming true. And this is what Kyle was going through last week and this idea that sometimes blessing can look very different in Scripture. That blessing oftentimes looks like something that comes with wounding, that comes with a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering, that leaves you changed in a different kind of way, that doesn't allow you to go back to the way things were. And in the context of how we see and understand the world around us, that type of blessing is oftentimes something difficult for us to grasp or to understand. And then what's left on the opposite is this idea of curse or curses. And you may be thinking, well, if the way we talked about blessing last week, uh, well, what is a curse then? Like, what, what is this idea that we would be, if it's this difficulty, sometimes it's painful experience, it sometimes can be a blessing. What is a curse? What does it even mean to be cursed? And what you see through the ancient Near Eastern texts in life and here in the Hebrew scriptures when they're talking about curse, they're not just talking about like a, a magical hex that's placed on you, you know, curses on all of you and your children because you didn't do the thing that I wanted you to do. No, they're talking about a way in which God removes himself, not simply from their life and their experience, but removes themselves from th this protection that he offers and provides. And he removes himself from the people in such a way that they experience the depth of their consequences, of their actions. I like the way uh, there was this girl, uh, I think she lives in Georgia, blogger, writer, content creator online. 
And she said it this way. She said, in the Bible, the curse is when God's, God hands people over to the consequences of seizing blessing on their own terms. That a curse, when, when Moses is saying that there will be curses on those but don't live the way that Yahweh intends for you to the life that Yahweh has for you, that what you see, what is happening in that, what they mean by a curse in that moment is not that life will be difficult. So we understand that even when you're living in the life of the kingdom and the economy of the gospel, life can still be hard. There can still be difficult moments, tasks before us that aren't always easy to choose. It's not rainbows and butterflies when you live in blessings. But the curse is something different is happening because what the blessing is is a promise that God's presence and his nearness will always be with you regardless of your circumstances and that he will protect and lead and guide. The curse is an acknowledgement or a promise, if you want to say it that way, that if you would choose rather than to live the way that God has laid before you and to live by defining what you think is good and right on your own terms. And if you would choose to pursue blessing as you see fit and as you understand it, then what God will be good to do is to let you have what you pursue and seek. And he will remove himself. He's still near, he's still there, but he allows these things to take place. He allows you to get what you want because he's a good God like that. And if you want the wrong things, then your life will be full of turmoil, futility, suffering. And yet you can go without and have a life that is full of abundance and of joy as you pursue what God lays before you. Because you experience the nearness and the closeness of what he has to offer you. And so curse in the scriptures is this idea that instead of abundance in life, we end up with scarcity and isolation. Instead of community and relationship, we end up alone and afraid. And so this is what's being promised at the end of Deuteronomy. That if you don't choose to live the life that is being implored in Deuteronomy 30, if you don't choose the good, that you will experience this. And this goes all the way back to the curse in Genesis 3. That's the language that's being evoked here. That's the language that is being shown. Because in the same way that they were offered all of creation, and the way that Yahweh intended that they would experience it all, that it was all for them, and that they would have an abundance, and that they were meant to participate in that, that they were meant to work alongside of God in creating this on earth, and to expand it, and to allow it to grow and multiply, Kyle talked about this last week too. He did a great job of this, of, of mentioning that that's not just in like procreating. Oftentimes we hear what it means to be like uh, the blessed people of God and that we're supposed to multiply and fill the earth. And we hear that and oftentimes for uh, single people or people without families or maybe people that are uh, vocationally single and choosing singleness for their entire life or some that maybe just don't want to be single but are for whatever reason, and they think, well, then that means I can't participate in that blessing. No, what it's saying is that this life that Yahweh came to offer, you are meant to experience it and multiply it, to create an abundance of it, to live life in such a way that you do not think that the world is a finite scarcity mindset, but that you see the world as full, as hopeful, as joyful, 
And you do what you can in the spaces that you find yourself to recreate that for others to experience and to know. Because God's not holding out on us. He never has been and he never will. He's not hiding from you. He is not trying to trick you. And this is the lie that takes place in the garden in Genesis 3. This is the confusion that happens in this moment. The serpent tricks creation in this moment, in this way to say that, oh, God is holding out on me. And in that moment, what they do is they reach out and they take for them what they think blessing might look like, what it could look like. And in that moment, they define for themselves what is good and what is evil. Instead of trusting in and giving themselves wholly over to the way that God had intended for them to live and to operate and function. And in that moment, the, the curse enters in. In the rest of Scripture, when we hear the language of curse, what we begin to understand is that there is this way in which God removes himself and allows the process of decreation to take place when humanity chooses to live outside of the wisdom, knowledge, and the blessings of good and evil that God intended to show us. And too often what we attempt to do is we attempt to create for ourselves and define for ourselves what we think that should look like. And then we pursue it and we attempt to seize it and to take control of it and to grab hold of it and to allow it to define our lives. And we give ourselves to that and we put religious language on it and Christian language on it oftentimes. And yet it's going to always leave us empty and disappointed and this is futility and it's the deaths that we die over and over again as we reckon with and experience the reality of our choices instead of participating in the multiplication of the life and the creation that Yahweh wanted his creation to participate in we choose instead to pursue our own good and allow this decreation of what he hoped to establish to enter into the world this is the curse the curses at the end of Deuteronomy are a reflection of this. It is a guarantee that that will happen. In between the promise of blessing for those that follow and, and the uh, command, the imperative to choose the good, and Moses here at the end, uh, ending his life, handing things over to Joshua, saying, you go on, I'm done. This is the word I've given. And as, as we discussed, his bad motivational speech. It's supposed to be rallying the troops. And in a sense, he says, listen, you've played this game before, and those that played it last year, they lost. And we've changed a bunch of things. We've got a new game plan, but you're going to lose anyways. Everybody goes, why would you tell us this, Moses? That's a terrible idea. Like, lie to us. Tell us we're going we're gonna to win. He says, well, because you're going to fail. And you're going to fail again and again. And it does not speak to or, or make a, uh, you know, declarative, definitive statement of who you are as a people in your value. It speaks to the beauty and the goodness and the grandeur of who God is. Because the promise is, the promise is the blessing, even though the guarantee of failure has been proclaimed. I think that's hard for us to wrestle with. Because we have this, like, karmic idea of the way life is supposed to work. We have this idea in our mind of thinking that like, well, why does this, like God promises this and, and this sometimes happens and, and then like some people get what we think is blessing and favor and, you know, wealth and success when they're really a terrible person and why does God allow it? 
And we wrestle with these things. And we struggle with why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to deceitful, manipulative people? Why aren't they found out? And it's because we, we think of the world as a tit for tat, and yet the gospel comes and it says, even though there's a promise of your failure, you, people of Israel, you will fail. And yet God's going to be good to deliver on his blessing, to deliver on his goodness, despite your failures. He will make a way because he will always pursue you and chase you. And that's why it is a removal of God's presence in those moments. The curse that you experience is you experiencing the depths of the consequences that you have created by pursuing the wrong things. And yet God will always make a way for you to return. It's a story of scripture. He will chase you down and he will find you. And he will give you a way back. So here's a question that I think would be uh, natural for you to have in your mind at this point. After Kyle's sermon, hearing this, is this idea of, of blessings and limping and things that are hurtful and painful. And I think it would be natural if you would go, okay, so all things that kind of hurt are painful and will leave me with a limp are a blessing? And then when I fail and I experience curse, like that's a blessing? And it's mysterious and it's complicated and it's difficult, but I, I want to say no because I want us to understand something. Just hear me on this. I would be remiss if I was up here for 30 minutes. That's generous. Uh, but if I was up here talking to you and I said to you, like, all of these things and never stopped to address the fact that there are things that will leave you with a limp that are evil. And they are not blessings. And do not confuse the two. There's abuse. There is suffering that you experience in this world as a result of the brokenness of humanity and others choosing to pursue what they think is blessing, what they think is life, what they think is power, and all of these different things. There are ways in which the world functions and operates, that life will happen, that you are going to experience pain and suffering, and we do not need to call those things blessings. We are talking about two different things in those moments. There is a result of the fall, there is a result of evil in the world, and there, is time, there are times where evil will act directly upon others in very intimate and vulnerable moments and situations. We know these well. Abuse, power struggles, violence, these are things that th this is not what we're talking about. I would not want someone to leave here and think, oh, the abuse I experienced as a child caused me to limp and I should really see it as a blessing. It's not true. There are things that God is going to ask of you that are going to be difficult, that are going to leave you tired and exhausted and sore, that if you have the right kind of way of seeing the world as a result through the filter of the economy of the gospel and the kingdom around you, that you will limp a little bit, and that is a blessing. There are other things, many of you have experienced them and know them well, that will cause you to limp and to be sore and to live life uh, with, you know, problems, that those aren't blessings. That was evil. And sometimes those are things of our own choosing, where we choose to do things that operate outside of the way the kingdom functions, and we have to live with the reality of our consequences. There are practical things sometimes that happen that you go, that's really difficult. And we have to experience those things. But not all things that cause you to limp are blessings. And I think the church can kind of get, we can live in two categories. We're like, everything is a blessing, and so everything's hard and difficult, and life is just supposed to sort of trudge through, and it's all a blessing because it's making us realize how great God is. 
or we kind of live in this thing that like nothing's really ever supposed to be hard and everything's a blessing and we just move on. There are both. And there are things where evil exists and it functions and it operates in such a way that it leaves you scarred and marred. And we mourn and we weep those things. And God mourns and he weeps those things with you. But this is the beauty of the gospel. And this is the promise of blessing alongside of the promise of failure. And that is that though those things are not blessings and we should never confuse the two, the economy of the gospel, the life of the kingdom, is a promise that God will take those things and he will bring blessing from it. He will bring beauty from ashes. He will turn your mourning and your sadness and your tears into joy and to laughter. He has promised to do this. And what the story is telling us is that though we will repeatedly be unfaithful to our promise to him, you and I, we're indicted in this. And if you don't think you're indicted in this, you haven't read the text close enough or your own life close enough. We will repeatedly fail. And the promise is that Yahweh will not fail. And that when we break the terms of the covenant, he will do the thing that he has told us not to do, which is to pursue anyways. And he will come and he will meet you there. And some of the sources of pain and of suffering, though they will always be difficult when you confront them and you name them and you allow the Holy Spirit to come and to speak tenderly to you in those places and you do not hide from them and you do not run away from that, those moments, that what the promise is is that those things can become some of your greatest strengths. That he can redeem your suffering. He can redeem your heartache. That he can redeem the worst things that have happened to you. Because there in those moments where evil most wants to attach itself is oftentimes the very place in which you are greatest, most gifted or could be most gifted to do the thing that the gospel is calling you to do, which is to go and to live a life that invites people into abundance, that invites people into joy, that invites people into hope and where you multiply this life that Yahweh intended for us to experience. It is in those places. Evil is a parasite. It will attach itself to beauty and it can only exist next to beauty and to goodness and to what is right. And so it is there that you must experience its effects. And those are things that are hurtful and that are a result of, you know, the big curse that's out there that has opened up, that, it, that it exists. Because here's the thing, when we start reading this, and we start thinking of this kind of karmic idea of the way that the gospel or, or the way that scripture is working or functioning, it's too easy for us to think that all of what Moses is saying is about you today and how you're going to live your life. I've told this story at Mosaic before. Uh, there was a moment. I was a freshman in high school, you know, living my youth group life. Those of you that grew up in the youth group world, you know this. Like, there's always this thing you're working on and, you're, you, like, you, you denounce. I don't know how many times I sold my Incubus CDs, but, or, like, just hid them under the bed because I'm not going to listen to that devil music. But, like, there's this thing that we would do. And there are always these, like, moments, these sins that you were trying to work on. And I can remember uh, a particular week in a moment struggling with something in my life. And my sister was playing in the state volleyball championship that day, and they were really good. And it was really fun, and I really enjoyed it, and they lost. And I remember crying in my bed that night that it was my sin that caused that to happen. Like, it was my sin that, cur like, that was a curse, right? Like, I, get, I didn't get to experience blessing because I sinned. 
That's a really terrible way to understand these blessings and curses of Deuteronomy. It's a, it's a really individual way of understanding what's happening here. Because what Moses is looking at is a group of people and saying, you collectively are going to experience this. Because there is a third kind of category in a fallen and broken world and even outside of that. Like there are some things that are just going to happen in the world around us that are just a result of two people playing a game and one person has to be better than the other and both people can pray for the Lord's favor to win, right? Like we understand this. We know how this works. And somebody's got to win, and that's hard, and it's sad. And those are just like kind of life moments, and I don't know if we should categorize those as blessings and curses, even though they feel like it in the moment. And then there are these other things that like are cancer and sickness, famine, disease, that aren't individuals directly being, you know, in control of these things, but yet they happen to the world around us because the world isn't the way that it's supposed to be. There's a way in which we interact and encounter the world that we go, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. This isn't the way it's supposed to exist. Like there's something in us that goes, this is wrong, this is off. And th those things are a result of the fall and of evil, but you're not being cursed because of your actions in that moment. That is more of a better idea of understanding what's happening here. It's a collective idea that we as the human creation, as, as the result of God's divine plan, are experiencing suffering and death in a way that we're not supposed to because we collectively as humanity don't do the things that he has called us to. We don't choose life. And so it gets really complicated and messy and I don't want to hide that. And you might be like, I thought you said you were going to wrap this up and tell us like how we we're supposed to live and what the point of all this is. This is the point is it's messy and it's confusing and I want us to be able to grasp these things. There's a way in which laid before you is the opportunity to choose what is good and right and that we collectively here need to pursue that together. And as we do so, the kingdom can come and it can invade the spaces we find ourselves in and little gardens that we tend to in our homes and in our workspaces can grow into the cities of hope that the scriptures had promised and longed for us to cultivate and to participate in. And it's never going to be easy or perfect, and there's all sorts of chaos and disorder in that. But what we have to do in these moments is we have to keep ever before us the life that God intends for us to live, the good of the gospel. And it's too easy for us to let go of that, to miss that, to conflate it with, all sorts of other things, hopes and dreams of our own, culture, society around us. Because though it is communal, we do experience the effects oftentimes individually. And we can, we can miss it. We can miss what God's trying to do in and through us. Moses individually doesn't get to enter as a result of both the sin of the people and his own sin. And yet he doesn't seem to think that that has somehow like discounted or discredited all the work that he's done and all the work that Yahweh is going to do. And so there is a way in which we experience the communal and collective effects of these things. And yet there is also a way in which we understand that we can impact them positively. We can come together to pursue and live a life that allows this type of hope and joy. We can create the type of life that those that have experienced the wounding and the harm of evil and of decreation individually and collectively, systemically and personally. We can create a life that allows them to come and to find healing and to find hope. 
instead of a life of cynicism and frustration, it's a life and it's a community and it's a way of interacting with one another that we begin to have this opportunity and this chance that those people can say there is more because it'll feel like that there isn't. It'll feel like that there isn't hope, that there isn't joy to be found in this world. And we collectively come to experience that and individually to find that hope in and of ourselves. The reality of it is, to do that though, your life has to change. One of the most common images that gets uh, brought out of the end of Deuteronomy and into the New Testament and the life that we experience is as we pursue this life of goodness and of blessing and attempt to avoid the life of curse, and Kyle read this last week and talked about it, this image of our hearts being circumcised. This metaphor, right? No one's going to actually cut you open and, and trim a piece of your heart back. But this ties all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema of understanding that there is this way in which with your heart, with all of you, all of your existence being, your emotions, your thoughts, your logic, your feelings, with all of that, you are meant to pursue God. You're meant to love Him. Give yourself over to His commands and to His way of life and being. And there is this way in which we regularly don't know how to do that because of what gets in the way. We regularly don't see it as a sign or a way of existing in God's community because we don't take the time to experience what it means to allow some of those feelings, thoughts, desires, hopes to be removed. And we pursue all the wrong things in all the wrong spaces and places. Here's the interesting thing about circumcision. Didn't think you'd hear that phrase this morning, did you? So it has its origins all the way back in the promise to Abraham, right? God's promise was to Abraham, this guy that was unable to have children. And, it, and the Spirit comes and says to Abraham, Yahweh shows up and says, Hey, you're going to have so many children, so many descendants, that it will outnumber the sands on the, on the shore and the stars in the sky. This guy that can't have kids. So in that, there is this blessing and this moment that is a promise to Abraham. And, and so then, a little bit later, circumcision becomes this way of marking physically those who are a part of this promise and this blessing. There's this connection to, to the offspring, to the fruit of life. And so you begin to see, and I don't have to like beat this point to death or, or, or overstate it. There's this way in which what we're seeing is that there is something that God is saying that in this ability to produce life is also this ability to produce death. There's a vulnerability. There, there is a, a curse-like nature to what can exist in reproduction, in the, in the process of reproduction. There's an intimacy that can exist there that can produce life and hope and joy and that can also produce sadness and sorrow and harm. And there's a way in which we can confuse what is being offered before us. And so if the metaphor runs, then what is being said of your life and of your heart is the exact same. That there is a way in which who you are and what you're thinking and feeling and pursuing can allow life and life abundantly to reproduce and to cultivate something 
and to extend something. And also what is capable in your life and in your heart, in your being, in your existence, is the ability to cause harm in some of the most beautiful and intimate spaces that you will encounter. And what Moses is pleading with his people is that you would in this moment take that thing and you would carve away, that you would mark yourself in a different kind of way and you would remove, and not that there's anything wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with the foreskin, it is still metaphor, okay? There's nothing wrong with your heart, it is still metaphor, but there's a way in which you are supposed to be marked and you're supposed to remove something about what is able to cause joy or harm. And in that moment, you're supposed to mark yourself in such a way that you choose to live in a way that brings joy and life and life abundant. And that's what it means for us here in this space now. To allow this truth, this circumcision of the heart and of our lives before Jesus to be played out. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And we're allowed this metaphor to grow. And it, there's another metaphor that's happening here of Pharaoh and his hardness of heart. And they would have all been like on this. And they would have been like, oh, the heart, hard heart, right. Like, okay, so we're, we've all become little Pharaohs. There couldn't have been a worse, you know, burn that you could have given to a group of Jews followers of Yahweh to be like, oh, you're all just a bunch of pharaohs. And you'd have been like, whoa, that's bad. We don't want to be a bunch of pharaohs. We don't want to be the empire. We don't want to be that. And yet that's what Yahweh is saying. Is that, and the prophets will pick up, oh man, they run with this so hard. They're going to say again and again, you, you have become this. And yet there's a way in which I will mark you and allow you to remove that so that you can pursue and follow me and live this way as I have called you. I think for us today, the, the easiest way to confuse this and to miss what God is calling us to is to confound this with things that, like the American dream around us. To kind of mix it up. And there's the old American dream of like Ronald Reagan in the 1960s and 70s and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and like everybody can be rich and if you just work hard enough and all your dreams will come true. And I don't know if that's the American dream most of you are pursuing. Just looking at our age, our demographic, we get the realities of inflation and a terrible economy and yada, yada, yada. So, but I think that for a lot of us, there's a new American dream, and we can blame Amazon and iPhones or whatever we want, but there's this way in which, and the beautiful thing is, is it's not just Christians saying these things. There's a lot of secular articles, and I can recommend them to you if you'd like to read them, that are noticing a trend that like we're pursuing this way of life that is ease, that's wellness. It's kind of like your, your point is to uh, ascend to this holistic kind of complete version of yourself, and in so doing... Like, then you just kind of are supposed to sustain that forever and ever. I heard a, a theologian say one time that if you want to hear people talk about living forever, don't go to a theology conference, go to a tech conference out in Silicon Valley. Because that's what they're obsessed with right now. Biohacking and DNA and taking the right medicines and reducing your age and all of this. And all the while, nobody takes into consideration that you can walk out your front door and just, it ends. But we believe that we can be in control of everything. That we can cultivate our own life that it can go exactly the way that we want it to and that we can be in charge of our destiny. And this is a more innocuous way of thinking and living because it's really easy to pull the gospel and Christianity into this thinking of like life is supposed to be about this kind of perfect curated 
ease. That it's supposed to be about like getting what I want, enjoying it, you know. I'll stick up for millennials and Gen Zers quite a bit, but the one thing like the, the older generations can get right about us is like we have traded savings for $9 coffees and $15 cocktails, you know. Like they are right to critique some of this. Because we think that this is what we present to the world matters more than like who we are. And we can kind of pull this in. And, and we think that like having things happen exactly the way they're supposed to happen or I want them to happen. That life is supposed to just be this order of sequences and steps and that it'll all just sort of come true. And that a blessed life is a life that's removed of hardship or difficulty. That a blessed life is one that happens instantaneously and that it's just like delivered to your door in less than 24 hours. And yet the gospel and what Deuteronomy is calling us to is to live a life that is bigger than that. To live according to this deeper, truer form of existence. To live a life that looks a lot more like Jesus as we stand on this other side of the resurrection. Because Jesus came and lived, and all through the prophets in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy even, you sense it, you, you sense the need that there's going to have to be someone else. That there's going to have to be a human that doesn't fall prey to the tricks of evil. That there's going to have to be a way, if we're going to continue to fail over and over again, that there's going to have to be someone or something, right? And there was a promise all the way back in Genesis that there would be one. And the question all through the Old Testament is sort of, who is this human? Who is this person? Who will be the snake crusher? Who will be the one that can destroy the curse? And we stand today celebrating and acknowledging and living into the life of the kingdom because we say it's Jesus. Through his death, burial, and resurrection that this curse, this life, can be redeemed. That it can be renewed, restored. And so it is through Jesus that we experience this. Because Jesus is the one that died as the cursed one. That took on the iniquities and the shame, the evil, the shortcomings, the failures of humanity and of creation. And said, I will bear it even though it is not mine to bear. And in so doing, swallowed death by death. Defeated the curse by being the one that is cursed. And so we gather this morning here to worship and to celebrate and to be the people of God and to be a church called Mosaic and to live and to choose life because of the avenue and the way created by the one called the Messiah. We function and we operate as a gift pursuing this thing. And what it requires of us as we pursue Jesus is to take our life and, and the way we see it and to understand it and turn it upside down and to view it through the lens of what his life looked like. And to find blessing and hope and joy in that. And as the band comes up, we'll move to our time of communion. And I love this imagery that just as God brought life in Genesis 1, out of nothingness and darkness and chaos. Through Jesus. And in that moment where Jesus enters into the depths of hell. Jesus is the avenue and the way by which God brings life and blessing again. 
and that chaos and disorder and death, the functionings of decreation can be placed back into their boundary lines. Victorious, reigning over those things, is Jesus. And that very Jesus, after his resurrection and after his victory, looks at his followers and he passes that blessing of life and the defeat of death onto them and he says, you now will experience this and can find hope in this. And promises his presence with them and that presence here animates us now in these moments and meets us here at the table. This presence means that we can live a life of extreme generosity, that we can live a life of abundance, of hope, that we can cultivate joy in the midst of sorrow, that we can understand that nothing is wasted and nothing is lost, that there is always hope, that we can cultivate and understand that life is meant to be abundant, that there is an infinity to experience. And we can lay aside our finite kind of scarcity mindsets and resources where we're trying to create for ourselves something other. We can stop trying to seize and control and lay hold to the blessings in the way that we think exactly the way life is supposed to go and we can mourn and we can weep the depths of the grief and sorrow that we experience in a fallen and broken world and we can simultaneously find blessing and hope. We can acknowledge our own complicity and fault in all of this and understand that we too are mixed yarn, chaff and wheat together, and we can pursue something eternal, something profound that will not burn up, that will not fade. And we do so by coming to the table again and again and recognizing that this is our path and this is our way and this is the hope. That the curse has been defeated. That death has been swallowed by death. And what lays before you is the choice to choose the path of life and of abundance instead of the path of scarcity and of death and of decreation. So I invite you as the band plays to come to take a piece of the bread and the cup. Return back to your seats. Hold on to those elements. And after they play the song, I'll come back up and I'll lead us in the reception of one body and one cup together as one people. And as you hold those elements, as you pray and you reflect, ask the Lord to open your eyes and to reveal to you what it means that as you take this bread and this cup and you receive the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus and you receive the body that is the perseverance and preservation of his people, to what it would mean to allow your life to be more like that, to pursue the goodness that is available in the kingdom and in the gospel, to pursue life to pursue joy and abundance. There's gluten-free on this side, and you guys know the drill, so come on down as the band plays and come and receive the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen.